Do pick up your Bible and uh, turn to those verses we read earlier. First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, and we consider tonight verses 1 to 12. Let's look to our God for help. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the Bible, for your word. We thank you that as we study your word, we gain a better understanding of who you are and of the way of salvation and of how we're to live for your honor and your glory. Be pleased to remind us tonight that true spiritual growth comes as your truths are established and rooted in our hearts. Take the preached word through the Holy Spirit, apply its truth to our lives. In the living word's name we pray, amen. Some time had passed since Paul and Silas had been used by God to begin a work of the kingdom in Thessalonica. Through Paul's ministry, a new church, a new fellowship of believers was formed. A new church taught the basics of the gospel before Paul and Silas, under the cover of darkness, had to flee the city because of the jealousy of the Jews. Next stop was Berea, followed by other churches that were founded by him. And as Paul continued his missionary journey, his mind often turned to that fledgling church in Thessalonica. And the question in his mind was, were they still continuing in the faith? Were they still going on with the Lord? And the only way to find out was to send Timothy to them and then to wait for his reply. And what we have in 1 Thessalonians is Paul's response to Timothy's report about their spiritual condition, about their walk with God. Overall, the church was doing well. Paul had previously told the church how to walk in a manner that pleased God. And by the Lord's grace, they were doing just that. They were still following Christ. More than that, they were living to please God. And what was it that they were doing that so pleased the Lord? Well, they were pursuing after holiness. Or in theological terms, they were living sanctified lives. That's to say, they were being obedient to God's will for their lives. In the first three chapters, Paul had praised them for their faithfulness. He had defended his motives for all he did and all he said while he was with them. He shared his gratitude for their love of Scripture. He explained his care for them. He expressed his personal love for them. And the fact that Timothy's report of their walk with God had really encouraged him. This fledgling church was a source of encouragement and joy to him. Why? Well, look at verse 1. Verse 1 tells us why. They had been instructed on how to live in order to please God. And they were living that way. They were putting what they had learned into practice. They just needed to persist in what they were already doing. Notice how Paul 
very gently encourages them to keep on living for Christ. Verse 1, he says, it says, we ask and we urge you. In William Hendrickson's commentary, he says that the asking and the urging is friendly and polite. Paul asks, he urges gently because they're already living in a God-pleasing manner. There's no need to correct them sternly. They're not heading in the wrong direction. In fact, they are on the right path. But even though they're doing well, there were things they needed instruction on. There were things they needed to be reminded of. Some things they already knew, and some new things. For example, verse 13, some teaching about what happens to believers when they die. So the first 12 verses of chapter 4, Paul asks them, Paul urges them first not to be satisfied with their present position. Secondly, to deal with those areas of life that are not pleasing God. And thirdly, to desire after holiness. And of course, what Paul urges these Thessalonian believers to do he urges us to do as well. So first of all, we're not to be satisfied with our present spiritual position. What Paul was saying to this young church was this. So much of your present walk with God is pleasing to God. But, verse 1, do this more and more. It really pleased Paul that they were living in the light of the gospel. They were rejecting dead idols. They had been turning to the living God. They had begun to shun worldly practices and to live in a way that pleased the Lord. They were already doing all of this. And Paul now urges them to do these things more and more. Grow more in righteousness. Grow more in this holiness. Grow more in this living for Christ. He's saying to them, don't be complacent in what you're doing. Increase in what it means to live a life that's separated unto the Lord. Abound more and more in a walk that pleases God. And he gives an example of what he means there in verse 9. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. The love they had for one another and for others was clear for all to see. But when can you ever love enough? And so Paul encourages them to excel more and more in their love for one another and in their love for others. And that's just one example. And of course, this is God's message to every believer, no matter how long you're saved. Even if you're living a life that pleases God right now, there is still room for you to grow. There's still room for you to grow in holiness, room for you to grow more like Christ. And we should not be content with little progression in our walk with God. 
We should have a holy discontentment no matter where we are in our walk with the Lord because there's always room for more Christ-likeness. And while we have breath, we should never be satisfied with our present spiritual position, with where we are in our walk with God. That was lesson one. Do not be satisfied with your present spiritual position. And secondly, as we continue our walk with the Lord, we need to deal with those areas of our lives that are not pleasing God. Paul says to these believers in Thessalonica, verse 3, it is God's will that you should avoid sexual immorality. And that is sexual immorality in all of its forms. Fornication, adultery, everything else, that would violate the word of God in the sexual realm. Now, of all the sins to choose as an example, why has Paul, through the Spirit, put a spotlight on sexual immorality? Well, here's why. Because the believers in Thessalonica lived among people who had no sexual, sexual ethics or restraint at all. Much like the world today, the Greco-Roman world viewed sex as simply another biological function. It was just like eating or drinking. When you craved sex, you had sex. No restrictions, no guilt. And these Thessalonian believers were immersed in that culture. It was not unusual that men would have mistresses, that they would sleep with temple prostitutes, that they would use slaves for sexual gratification. They would expect men to be involved in all sorts of things that we would now consider to be pornography. It was just a way of life for those who lived in Thessalonica. But these young believers, they're now sensitive to the Spirit of God. And they find that there's a whole new way of behaving sexually that's expected of them. So you see, it's not an accident that Paul begins this discussion about sanctification, about being holy by addressing this issue of sexual conduct. He fully recognized that for the members of this young church, the temptation to succumb to sexual sin was great. And so he arms them with the necessary motivation to achieve victory over sexual sin. Verse 3, it is God's will that you should avoid sexual immorality. And of course, it's important that we take note of this too. We need to understand that we'll make no progress in our spiritual lives if we take our standards from people who do not know the Lord. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, well simply this. We're not to take our moral attitudes from people who do not know God. We're not to follow the world in how we behave sexually. I mean, most of us have lived around people and around ideas and images that have worked to desensitize us to sexual sins. And so we need to be aware of the danger we face and to do something about it. We're not to heed the voice of others who say to us, well, everybody does pornography. Everybody is on the internet doing this. Well, everybody is sleeping around. We don't sleep around. 
like people who do not know God. We don't take our standards from those who do not know God. You know what the word standards are. I mean, for instance, the idea that a sexual relationship takes place before marriage has been canonized in our culture. In fact, it's even thought this is one of the things you ought to do before you get married, just to make sure that you're compatible, just to make sure that you really do care about each other. Listen, the Word of God says that that's sin. According to the Scriptures, that is fornication. Any sexual relationship outside of the marriage union prior to marriage is fornication. And once you're married, to be involved with someone sexually outside the marriage union, that's adultery. So says the Word of God. You see, there has to be some authority to set the moral standard for our lives. And the Lord Jesus and his word is the only authority that can do that. The Bible sets the standard for sexuality for all people in all times, and it doesn't budge. The Bible is the believer's standard to gauge whether our sexual desires are pleasing to God or not. Paul knew. Paul knew that sexual sin would destroy the lives would ruin the testimony of these young believers. And so to achieve victory over sexual sin, they needed to go back to the fundamentals. They needed to go back to their personal walk with God. God desires us, as his people, that we be sexually pure in every way, both in public and in private, so that our character is consistent with our reputation. God's people must be a people of sexual purity and integrity. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? Verse 4. You should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. The believer is held responsible for what he or she does with the body that God has given them. We're not to let our lusts our passions rule over us. Self-control is so important. Listen to this quote from Charles Swindle. Just one sentence. He said this. No one remains pure by accident. We've got to control our bodies, not allow our bodies to control us. God has a standard for sex, and any deviation from that standard falls outside of his will. God expects that our bodies will be set apart for him, verse 4, in a way that is holy and honorable. Remember that if you're a child of God, then the Spirit of God lives in you and equips you and empowers you to take control of your body. No matter how strong the desire, no matter how raging the hormones we have been given the Holy Spirit who empowers the willing Christian to overcome sexual sin. And that victory begins when we realize that sexual sin is a transgression not only against the holiness of God, but also against the dignity of other people. Look at verse 6. In this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. 
when we're sexually immoral, we take advantage of others. And we can see from verse 6 that God takes this matter seriously. We've been called to live in a way that pleases God. That being the case, sexual immorality is simply inconsistent with who we are in Jesus Christ. And by rejecting sexual purity, verse 8, we're not rejecting man, but God himself. So to have a relationship with Jesus Christ means that you walk in purity. You put away sin. You don't just call him Lord, you do what he says. To follow Christ means that it won't just be in your beliefs that you're different from the world. You'll be different in your behavior also. And we see this in verses 9 through 12. Paul mentions to this young church a few areas that maybe they need to consider further as they seek to lead lives that please the Lord. Verse 9, you've been taught by God to love each other and you do. You're practicing this love and yet we urge you to do so more and more. As I said at the very beginning, loving one another is one of those areas that we need to keep working at. A church made of all the necessary ingredients to do church, but if it lacks love, then it's not being the church. And here's another area they needed to work at as they tried to please the Lord. Verse 11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life minding your own business. Nothing's more disruptive to the unity of a church than a nosy individual who desires to know every detail of another person's life. And unfortunately, this is the picture many people have of the typical church. But Paul, with one simple statement, informs us how we're to conduct ourselves. Mind your own business. We're not to be like the world. The latest bits of gossip are not to concern us. And sadly, there are too many busybodies in the body of Christ. It was a real problem. It was a real problem for this young church in Thessalonica, so much so that Paul had to write to them a second time all about it. And we find it in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 11, where Paul says to them, for we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. It was an area that some of these believers needed to work on with the help of the Holy Spirit. I wonder, do we need similar help? And here's another area they needed to work at as they tried to please the Lord. Verse 12, work in such a way that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and not be dependent on anybody. Paul says that Christians should be the hardest working, most conscientious people wherever they are. Why? Because everything we do sends a message to the world about what we believe about God. We're to show the world what genuine Christianity really is. To live for Christ in such a way that our love for him, our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, our quiet confidence in him, and even how we work will be a witness to the world all around us. And I believe that we need to be reminded often that the gospel is only as believable as the changed lives of those who proclaim it. So Christian, we're not to be satisfied 
with our present spiritual position. We're to deal with those areas of our lives that are not pleasing God. And thirdly, to sum up these two lessons, we're to desire after holiness. It's worth asking, whatever happened to holiness? Whenever we hear about Christianity, we hear about love, we hear about grace, we hear about forgiveness, but where's the emphasis on personal holiness? But maybe you have come to the conclusion that since you've been saved by grace, then holiness is not required of you. In fact, your life just seems fine without it. Well, how wrong you are if that's what you think. We must take seriously one of the required evidences for eternal life, which is namely our holiness. It's good that we celebrate what Christ has saved us from, but we also need to be aware of what Christ has saved us to, to the pursuit of holiness, to the pursuit of likeness to Christ. This is the, the primary pursuit of the believer, holiness. Why? Verse 3, because it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Verse 7, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Christian, this is God's will for you. A sanctified life, a holy life. He's called you to walk in a way that pleases him. Holiness means that I'm not going to live according to the standards that are set by unbelievers in the terms of the way they think, how they view things, how they evaluate things. I'm going to live according to the standards set by God. I'm going to live according to what God's will is. And where do I find what God's will is? How do I know how to live that pleasing life? Well, I find it in the Bible. We we'll have to know what's right before we can do what's right. We need to commit to know what God says and then strive to put what we've learned into practice. And we've got a grasp that progress towards Christ-likeness is connected to two things. Exposure to the deep truths of God in the scriptures and obedience. For the believers in Thessalonica, their spiritual growth was dependent on more than just having a breadth of theological knowledge. They had to determine that they were going to be obedient to what they'd read, to what they'd been taught. And so do we. You see, the Christian life is a lifelong process of being molded, transformed into the image of Christ. God's desire for you is total Christ-likeness. And that will not happen until we're in his presence and glory. It will not happen this side of eternity. There will never be a time when you wake up one morning and find yourself all of a sudden made perfect and able to conquer every temptation and fully in thought, word, and deed please God. I mean, to do so would be awesome. But it's not going to happen. The good news is that you being made perfect is going to happen. The bad news is you're going to have to die before that happens. Because that's not going to take place until you're in eternity and made perfect with Christ forever. 
the work of making you more like the Lord Jesus continues day by day until you meet the Savior face to face. But every day there is an expectation of growth. Our Christian lives are about making progress and it's very mundane and it's very day by day. It's very moment by moment. It's just about steps continuing your walk with Christ. Your Lord delights in each and every baby step you take down this path of holiness. And Paul tells the believers in Thessalonica, you started the race well, now keep running. Now keep going. You've got the foundations in place. Now keep building on those foundations. Take your spiritual devotion to another level. As he puts it in verse 1, we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. He was saying to them and to us, your pursuit of holiness is to be a way of life. It's to be a way of life. One commentator said, true holiness is the most beautiful ornament, the most magnificent beauty which can be found in man. But here's what I want you to leave with this evening, this thought. Notice how Paul mentions the Holy Spirit at the end of verse 8. And remember, there's a purpose as to why he does it. And the purpose is this. As we've been seeing, God has called them and us to a life of purity and holiness. And so God gives his Holy Spirit to indwell you, to empower you, to live the kind of life that he requires. The Holy Spirit powerfully works in you to bring about your holiness. He's called the Holy Spirit. He is sent primarily to make us holy, to conform us to the character of the Lord Jesus. And through the work of his spirit, God is transforming you from who you are into who he wants you to be. Your holiness is the Holy Spirit's priority. Your responsibility is to let that inward work of the Holy Spirit manifest on the outside. We are to live on the outside what the Holy Spirit has made us on the inside. I profess faith in the Lord Jesus 55 years ago. And I can testify that it's hard to live a godly life. It's hard to live a holy life because dying to sin is painful. Almost everything is easier than growing in godliness. Yet Hebrews 12 verse 14 says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's not an option. But child of God, take hold of this truth as we finish. God's purpose for your life is to conform your life to the likeness of his son. God is deeply committed to do this in your life. It's a work he promises to bring to completion in your life. Philippians 1 verse 6. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
I began our time together tonight by quoting from a book by Jerry Bridges entitled The Pursuit of Holiness. Listen to his final paragraph. God has not commanded us to be holy without providing the means to be holy. The privilege of being holy is yours and the decision and responsibility to be holy is yours. If you made that decision, you'll experience the fullness of joy which Christ has promised to those who walk in obedience to him. May that joy be ours. In the words of the Apostle Paul, brothers and sisters, we instructed you on how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we urge you in the Lord Jesus, to do this more and more. Let's pray.